Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, church family. It's an honor to be with you as always, and I want to say welcome. Whether you're here in the building or you're joining us online, it's an honor for me to be here. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. And at the front end of our time today, I just want to take a moment to address, to speak about, and then to pray about some of what's happening in our world right now. We're all aware of the utter heartbreaking evil Uh, that was carried out against the nation of Israel recently. And in times like this, we can be overcome with feelings of uncertainty or fear or anger. And my invitation to you in all of this is to utilize the gift of prayer that God has given to us as his children. We are called to pray for peace. We pray to the God of peace. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My hope and my prayer is that we'll continue to pray and that you'll continue to walk by faith in whatever season God has you in and as you process through all that's happening in our world today. So to that end, would you unite your hearts with mine as we pray specifically for God's peace? Father, we as your people pray. We pray for all of those who are suffering in the region. We pray for peace and justice to rule and reign in this world as it does in heaven. We pray for those who are in positions of power to be led by your spirit, to have wisdom. We pray, Father, for the innocent, Lord, that they wouldn't be collateral damage, but that they would be guarded and rescued out of this evil. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. You are the God of peace. Jesus, you are the Prince of peace. Come in justice and bring glory to your name, I pray. Would you, in a way that only you can, use such things for your glory to point hearts and minds to the eternal and life-changing truth of the hope of Jesus Christ. For this we pray, amen. Now it's a joy to be back with you. I had a few weeks 
where I wasn't here. I know it felt a little weird. Celebrated and kicked off this big new series, right? Started it off hopefully with a bang and then just disappear for a bit. But let me explain. I have spent some time on personal, deep spiritual retreat, um, discerning the Lord's will and listening to his voice. Uh, And I chose to bring my wife along when we did that, and we together, so that's why we went to Las Vegas. (laughs) And, no, we had a little chance to get away. The problem is you Google, like a cheap vacation, and it always crops up to the top that it's going to be Las Vegas because they got great deals for hotels and for flights. And so you're like, that's not that much money. But then you get there, and they always get you. There's all these extra fees that are hidden on and taxes and so forth. Right? Like they say, the house always wins, right? So we had a chance to get away, and, and I, I noticed two things. The first is this. In my opinion, it's highly overrated. That's all I'm going to say. My second um, thing, the second thing that I noticed was this. The entire place is built on temptation. And I want you to know that I behaved. I want you to know that I did not put even a dime in those slot machines. I did not spend even one cent gambling. Now, before you applaud me and say, wow, what a man of God he is, I should confess that gambling has never been a temptation for me. Even recently, somebody said to me, Devin, are you tempted to play the lottery? Because it got pretty big there at one point, didn't it? What was it up to? Hmm. 1.7 billion. Somebody's very precise here with their numbers. <laughs> That's 1,700 million. That's an incredible amount of money. So somebody asked me, were you tempted to play? And my thought was, absolutely not. Why would I trade the money that I have for the money that I don't? It's just not a temptation to me. Now, if you've been around a slot machine, if you've walked past them, if you've seen any of these sports betting advertisements on television, you'll see at the bottom of the screen or the bottom of the machine, these little words, please gamble responsibly. With the recognition that there are some people who for whatever reason are predisposed or who struggle with temptations in this area. And if you're here and you struggle with gambling, I'm not poking fun at you. I've got my own struggles. That just doesn't happen to be one for me. But if we go through the list of temptations and ways that we can be enticed or invited, that we can hear the conniving and subtle presses and invitations of the evil one, we'll see that it's not a matter of if temptation will come. It's a matter of how and when. Maybe for you, it's materialism. It's pride. It's self-centeredness. It's laziness. It's anger and bitterness. Maybe for you, it's sexual lust. It's envy. It's gluttony. It's lying. It's fear. It's alcohol abuse, substance abuse. Man, it is not a matter of if, and it doesn't matter if you are brand new to following Christ and you feel like this world is one giant temptation for you, or if you have been following for 75 years and you're, you're, you live alone and your hormones aren't racing and there's no, you know, nothing out there that really tickles your fancy, the truth is there's still temptation to battle with 
And so today what I want to do from the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study is to look at a section of Mark where he recounts the encounter of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. Now to be sure, Mark's account of Jesus' temptation is much shorter than Luke's or Matthew's. In Matthew and in Luke, you're given a lot more information about the ways that Jesus was tempted. How Satan comes to him and what Satan perceives as a moment of weakness. He had been fasting for 40 days. But it wasn't truly a moment of weakness. He had been fasting and growing in his understanding, his relationship with his father. He had been, he had been sinking his roots down deep for 40 days. This wasn't his weakest. This was his strongest. He had been in communion with his father for these 40 days in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him and says, listen, I've got a plan for your life. A plan that avoids the cross. You can have it all. You can have it all and you don't have to suffer. And what does Jesus do? He responds with the truth of Scripture. He overcomes and he says no. Now Mark's account is much more brief, much more succinct, as is Mark's style. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to get you to open them up to Mark chapter 1. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. Our text today is Mark 1, 12 to 13, but I also want to read 14 and 15 so that you can have a sense of what's coming next. This is the word of the Lord. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. It's so important that as we study even something like a gospel, we think carefully about the flow, the narrative structure, how the story is built. Mark begins with a punch. It begins with the narrator, the writer, saying, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that had been promised long ago. He is the Son of God. And then it turns to a quotation from the Old Testament. This is the one that was promised in Scripture. This is the one that we've been longing for, hoping for, and waiting for. John the Baptist appears on the scene and he announces that there's coming one far greater than I. This cryptic, apocalyptic, prophetic figure of John the Baptist comes and he says, no, 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 it's not me. There's coming another one. He is announced by John the Baptist. He goes down, Jesus goes down into the water as he is baptized. He comes up out of the water and it says that heaven was torn open. And there he is anointed with the Spirit. The Spirit comes. He is affirmed 
by the voice from heaven, from, by the Father in heaven saying, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. You ought to listen to him. My seal of approval is upon him. And in this incredible, and after this incredible, climactic moment, what would you anticipate would happen? In your own life, after incredible events, when you see God's provision, God's preparing you, God's providing for you, God is working and moving and and you're growing in your love for him and your understanding of who he is, what typically do we expect is going to come next? Oh man, we're going to be, or Jesus is going to be celebrated. He's going to be revered. He's going to be, he's going to be held in esteem. He's going to go out and conquer and he's going to go out and he's going to defeat the enemies of Israel. That's what we expect. But what happens here? After all of this, he is led, he is driven, Mark says, by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And there he faces off with Satan. You see, this text gives us an important lesson on the front end. When you are coming down off of a spiritual high, the enemy is usually waiting nearby. When you have these incredible experiences, I've seen this in my own life and I've seen this in the lives of those that I pastor or, or walk with. Maybe you have been praying for years that God would work and move in your heart in significant ways. And so you go to, say, a conference and there, by, God, by God's grace, he meets you. And you come home and you're excited and you're filled up and you're overflowing. And you come home only to find out that while you were away, it seems like the family has fallen apart. Or maybe you decide to finally get baptized, to be obedient to Christ. You say, Jesus, you have transformed me. You have saved me your death and your resurrection. I see now their beautiful worth and I'm holding on to them. And I want to honor you. I want to to magnify your name. I'm going to obey you. And so you see that we have an opportunity and you go down into the water and you come up out of the water with a sense of joy. You hug that pastor and you go backstage. And the next thing you find out is that over the coming weeks and months, it seems like life gets harder. Maybe it's your marriage. And your marriage has started to grow. And there's love and gentleness and intimacy again. And while the two of you are strong, the temptations and the struggles and the pain come from all sorts of places. Or maybe you just became a Christian. Maybe you have just trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins. And you have this sense of joy. But you're beginning to notice that not everyone shares this newfound joy of yours. And you're beginning to realize that there is a cost to following Christ. And you're beginning to realize that it almost seems like now you have a target on your back. And suffering and difficulty and hardship has come. 
You see, when you're coming down off of any kind of spiritual high or any kind of significant work of God, as God works in you to prepare you, to use you, to glorify himself in you, more often than not, that draws the attention of Satan and you will suffer. Jesus never promised us that the path would be easy. He calls us to come and die, to take the way of the cross, to give our lives, our joys, our hopes, our dreams to him. And so don't you think you should expect that the one who hates him above all else will come to steal this new work of God in you? But maybe you're here and you would say, listen, Devin, all this talk about you know, temptation and suffering and struggle and hardship, listen, that's not my life. And that's the exact reason why I don't need Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you would say, I don't need any of this. You people are so weak. My life is going really, really well. Well, let me give you this. Maybe the reason that it's going really, really well is because Satan knows full well that he already has you hook, line, and sinker. And that all he needs to do is keep you busy and preoccupied until the day that you die and then you will be sent to hell. That's all he's trying to do. Just keep you entertained enough. Keep you happy enough. I've seen struggle and heartache lead people to reach out to God by faith and trust in him that God uses these difficult seasons to bring us to faith. I've seen that. Praise God, he works in that way. But I've also seen people who have lived their life with no regard to Jesus Christ as king because life is just so comfortable. So they live this comfortable life. Their years slip away. And they pass on never experiencing the forgiveness of Christ. Do not let the devil lull you into sleeping through this life. Today is the day of salvation. But the truth is that you and I have an enemy. You see, we have a problem, a reality that we need to face 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 describes it this way. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, you have an enemy who hates you. The reason that he hates you is because you are made in the image of God. And you have received grace something that he does not understand and has never received. Something that is not available to him. He hates God most of all. And so what he wants to do is to work to steal your joy, to steal your peace, and to steal your affections and your love of Jesus. I mean, so many of us, myself included, struggle to to realize that this is an aspect of our life. 
that spiritual warfare, that the schemes of our enemy are real and are present. I would assume that Satan is far more active in our lives, that Satan and his demons are far more active in our lives and in our church than we would ever believe. I mean, read the pages of the gospel. I mean, you see Jesus interacting with spiritual reality of demons and the demonic over and over and over. Do you think he's taking a hiatus? He's on sabbatical? No, he is subtle. We have an enemy. But so many of us live like that's not a, a truth worth considering. You see, there's two errors that we can fall into, and C.S. Lewis captures this brilliantly. He writes this, there are two equal and opposite errors about which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. He goes on in that quote, in that section of his book, to explain that Satan will take either. Some of us live like there is no spiritual battle out there, that facing the temptations and the lies of the evil one isn't a reality. And other people err on the other side. Now, I'm a Christian. I love Christians. I think very highly of Christians. But any group can get a little bit strange sometimes. And I've met Christians who live and operate like there is a demon behind every bush, right? So they're walking through the the living room in the night and they stub their toe and the first thing they do is like pray the blood of Jesus against Satan because he's in there to get them. And I think, really? You think that this spiritual being who is far greater than anything that, that we could even imagine, do you think that he's, his grand scheme is to make you stub your toe? That's his end game? No. No, you, you can be unhealthy with it. But I think living with a lack of awareness that Satan is active is a particular temptation of our kind of naturalistic worldview of the West today. You have an enemy, and he prowls around like a lion looking to devour you and destroy you. In John chapter 10, we read about his his approach. The thief, it says, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's out for. And this is what he wants to do in your life. Jesus, however, he has come, I have come, he says, that they may have life and have it more abundantly, to the full. You see, the problem is that we have an enemy out there, and one of his tools that he loves to use is to tempt, to entice us, to lure us away from what is right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're given... Not the problem, but the promise. Listen to these words. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Let me just pause right there and I'll continue in just a moment. In our individualistic culture, we feel like we are unique. 
We all have our own stories. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, there are 8 billion people that are alive today. What are the odds that you are truly that different? There is no temptation that you and I face that hasn't been faced by others. Now, the vehicle of temptation with technology and so forth may have changed, but these sins and these temptations that we struggle with have been there since the fall. There is no temptation that has overtaken you except that what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, this is the promise. That yes, we have an enemy. And yes, he loves to tempt. But God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God will provide a way of escape. There is a lion out there, but he can only go so far. How many of you have seen a lion in the wild? Right? There's a few of you. Maybe on the back of a Jeep, going through this safari expedition. And you see the lion, and I've seen those videos on YouTube where the lions are getting real close, and you're starting to think, how high is this back into the Jeep up off the ground? It's like three feet. Being like, I hope he takes that person instead, right? Just all those little selfish thoughts that go on. You have good cause to fear a lion when it's given free reign. But how many of us have seen a lion at a zoo? Yeah, the vast majority of us. Do you fear the lion at the zoo? No, you don't. Why? Because that lion can go no further than the confines its keeper has given it. And it's the same with the roaring lion out there seeking to devour you. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And we're going to talk here in just a moment. This is never what you can bear in and of yourself. That's important. But you need to recognize this, that even, even Jesus here being led, he is led not by Satan to be tempted. He is led by, by whom? By the Spirit. So even here in this hard season of facing temptation, even there, it's under God's sovereign and providential purposes. That God is working here. God is doing something here, that this lion prowls around, but he is not without a leash. You see, we have an enemy, and more often than not, when God begins to work in you, God begins to do something significant. God begins to prepare you. When you're coming down off of a spiritual high, the enemy is usually waiting nearby. If God is continuing to work in you and he's finally doing what it is that you've prayed for for years, you're stepping out in faith to serve. You're starting to, to give. Don't be surprised that you will face temptations and struggles in that season. When you're coming down off of a spiritual high, the enemy is usually waiting nearby. That's lesson number one. Let me give you the second one. Here's the second lesson for you. Jesus gets it. And Jesus overcame it. If 
If your heart, if your mind, if your soul does not grasp this truth, you will have no hope of withstanding temptation. Jesus was tempted by Satan. You know, I've heard people say, well, really? I mean, come on. He was the son of God. He was sinless. How hard was it for him to resist temptation? Right? We, we don't know what was going on in Jesus' heart and in his mind. We're not given insight into that. But I can tell you this, that there is no one in all creation, in all human history, who ever withstood temptation as much as Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Well, what happens when you and I are tempted? Uh, We usually give in, right? We resist, we resist. Ah, Nobody's going to know about it. We say no, we say no, we say no, and then over here we get this little temptation and we instantly give in because we feel like we've earned it. Over and over, we fall into temptation. We have never withstood a lifetime of temptation. Jesus is the one man, the one person in all of human history who withstood every temptation that came across his path. There is no one who withstood temptation like Jesus. Now, I think it's important to point out something here, that being tempted is not a sin. Now, if you think it is, more than likely you'll feel defeated at the first sign of a temptation, and then human nature is to say, ah, what's the point? I've already sinned. Might as well just in for a penny, in for a pound kind of thing or whatever. Just I might as well all go all in to continue the Vegas theme. Now, being tempted is not a sin. What's a sin is being enticed and allowing it to sit there and to fester and to control our actions. As the saying goes, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Right? So it's not a sin to be tempted. Think of it this way. Imagine you are walking down the sidewalk. And this sidewalk represents obedience to Christ. You're on the faithful path. You're doing what's right. And so you are walking. Temptation occurs when somebody, when Satan, when his minions on the other side of the street start calling out to you. Hey, 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 come over here. Come over here and here's what all temptation is. Come over here to my side of the street and I'll give you I'll give you what it is you're seeking for in God. You want, you want joy, you want peace, you want comfort, you want security, you want power. Whatever you want in Christ, just come over here. That's too hard to get it from him. That path is too long. Come over to my side of the street and I'll give it to you right away. Being tempted is when we hear the voice on the other side of the street. That's not a sin. It starts with temptation as we're walking down the street. But the next step, the next step is the enticement. When it's not just something we hear or a thought that we get, our heart starts to contemplate. 
our heart starts to wonder. It's when we're walking down the street and we hear that voice and we plant our feet and we start thinking. You know what? I've deserved this. You know what? It's not that big of a deal. You know what? Everybody else is doing it. You know what? Nobody's going to find out. You know what? I've been a good little boy this last week. I've been a good little girl this week. Enticement is when we stop, we look across the street, and we start to consider the lies of the devil. Finally, we cross that threshold into active, willful sin. When we throw our hands up and say, I'm going for it. And we start to cross that street. We start to walk. Instead of that path towards obedience, we are walking towards the lies of the devil. You see, Jesus was tempted. He gets it. And he overcame it. This, my friends, is everything when it comes to the battle with temptation. You need to grasp this in your heart. He already overcame it. So whether it's porn or alcohol or worry or anger, you need to see that Jesus was tempted just as we are, and yet he overcame. You can't do it in your own strength. You know this already. You and I cannot overcome in our own strength. And we don't have to. Jesus Christ already conquered this. He already overcame it. He defeated the power of sin. You are a new creation in him. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is why you can go to him. Because he gets it and he overcame it. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer explains this truth so beautifully. He says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us, to understand our struggles. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. But he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what this means is the next time that you are tempted in any particular area, don't run from Jesus in shame and in guilt. Run to him. He gets it. He overcame it. He doesn't just say to you, oh, that's so sad. That sounds so hard. Yeah, I've been there. I was tempted too. He says to you that and more. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. That sounds so hard. I was tempted too, you know. And although you can't overcome, I did. I've already defeated this sin. It's not inevitable for you. You see, so many of us in our patterns of negative behavior, in our sin struggles, we feel this sense of hopelessness this sense of inevitability that it's always going to be this way, that I'll always struggle with this sin, that my dad struggled with it, and therefore I will as well. No, if you have trusted in Christ, you are a new creation. 
If you have trusted in Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are united to him. He's already won this victory. Do you see the difference that that makes? So when you face that particular temptation, whether you're alone, you're in public, it doesn't matter where, pause for a moment. And rather than falling into all those patterns of behavior, of all those failures of the past, and all that negative thinking about what a failure you are and how you're never going to find hope, how you're never going to change, stop. Stop and say, God, I don't have to do this. I have freedom in Christ. He has already overcome And because Jesus gets it and he overcomes it, by his power, I'm going to choose to obey. You see, it's never in your strength. It's never in my strength. Jesus is the one who overcome. So don't run from him when you're tempted. Run to him. You see, we live in a world filled with temptations. From the phones in your pocket to the media we consume to the availability of any number of vices to the internal struggles and insecurities we all face. They all conspire together to tempt us, to entice us, to steal our love and joy in Christ to steal our focus away from Christ. So I offer you this. Don't be surprised when you're tempted. Even if you're coming down off of some kind of spiritual high, even if you sense and see God working in you in new and exciting ways, don't sleep on the devil. Be on guard. Look for situations and circumstances that kind of prime us to fall into these negative behaviors. Most of us sin in predictable patterns. If there's a time, if there's a place, if there's an emotion that you're carrying that leads to these things, invite some people into that. Share that with people. Pray about that. Be on guard. You have an enemy. If he always slips through the back gate, at some point you have to close it. Don't give in. And look to Jesus. The one who gets it and overcame it. In your heart say, Jesus, I can't do this. But I know that I'm not alone. I know based off the promises of your word and the good news of the gospel that I'm united to you. And now, by the power of the Spirit of God living in me, I'm going to choose in this instance to obey. You see, Jesus Christ came to overcome everything that we couldn't. He overcame death for you. He overcame sin for you. He overcame temptation for you. Perfectly and spotlessly. What this means is that when he went to the cross, he had no guilt and no shame to pay for of his own. 
He was innocent and perfect because he always said no to temptation. He always did what was right and honoring to God. And so there on the cross, he has the ability to play the role of your substitute. And there at the cross, your sin was placed upon him. And his righteousness, his perfect record of spotless obedience can be gifted to you. All of this is through faith. By believing and trusting in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, but praise God, he stood strong. So now church, go stand firm. Go resist the devil. Go out and walk in obedience through the power of the risen and victorious Christ. Let me pray to that end. Lord, I preach a sermon like this and there's a part of me that feels like a hypocrite because I don't knock this out of the park all the time. There are times that my feet stop walking down that path and I hear the, the temptations of fear or of uncertainty or of people pleasing, calling out, Lord, may my identity be anchored in you. May I grow in this area. Lord, for those who are here who have a section of their life that they have relinquished, that they have laid down their arms. They're not even battling sin anymore. They have given up and they have given in. I pray for them that you will convict them by your spirit and that you will give them the confidence and the hope that it is not inevitable that they sin. They are a new creation in Christ. Father, for those of us here who are just trying to follow you on that path but are frustrated by how often we swing off how often we follow that voice of our enemy into temptation, I pray that you will help us to see in every instance that Jesus, you have overcome this particular sin. I don't have to give in. I don't have to disobey. I am a new creation. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. I am united with the one who is victorious over all. Lord, we pray this in the spotless, pure, and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family, or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.